Flowing is a, an amazing word in the Bible. Because when God created fish, he spoke to the sea. And when he created birds, he spoke to the sky. And when he created man, he spoke to himself. And he said, let us create. And he took the eight elements, whatever we made out of, in the physical. And he constructed something. And then what did he do? He breathed. He breathed on a new creation. A new creation which was going to cover the earth, build communities, invent amazing things, amazing electric-powered racing cars and space travel jets and have a whole lot of fun surfing and fishing and scuba diving without selfishness, greed, envy and jealousy where everybody lives the standard life of a, a million, multi-millionaire because there's so much going around. It's like, no, no, please, you can have my other, my eight TV. I don't need it anymore. You know, that, that, that 16th Jaguar of mine, really. I don't know where to leave it. I haven't, you, you know, I mean, I'm, talking, I'm talking in the natural, but I hope you're catching that there is enough. God made enough for everybody and more and abundantly more for everybody but for corruption and greed and jealousy. The world has been robbed. But he breathed on this in his image. And he breathed on man and he created them, man, male and female. He created them male and female. There was no competition between them. There was no hierarchy between them. There were no levels. It was just, they were his mankind created Male and female, they just had different plumbing because they needed to populate the earth. But his whole purpose was a planet in the garden, walking with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as God. Walking with God in the garden, the same God who had enjoyed intimacy and communion from eternity past into eternity future, which I've said so many times, I'm going to keep on saying it, because I want you to, to see that God wasn't a lonely God that needed a couple of friends. God was just such a happy God. He needed to extend his family and include us in that family. So he breathed. Didn't breathe on the rhino. Didn't really breathe on the baboon. Didn't breathe on the tarantula. Breathe. And then there was just a big mess. You can go right through the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, on and on and on and on and on and on. God working out his covenant, working out his furniture to explain his eternal purposes. Christ, in the fullness of time, in the perfect time, comes on the scene and he says there's a new king in town and this king is going to build a new creation and this creation is going to be called my church because on this rock I will build my church speaking to Peter and the apostles. And while we see a building, God sees a community meeting. 
in a shelter to keep the rain off them. Fellowshipping, learning to love one another as iron sharpens iron, dealing with the jealousy and corruption and all the other fallenness of our nature that was part of the old man. And he baptizes us into a new creation. And what does he say to his disciples before he leaves? Don't leave Jerusalem because daddy's about to breathe again. Not the first creation, but a new creation. And this new creation is going to be birthed in the breath of God as his gift comes and it's the fire presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus as God has now ascended into heaven, he's done what God needed to do on earth in the divine exchange and bringing about the new kingdom inauguration. But now was Holy Spirit's turn to say, I am going to fill this people with the same spirit that was in Jesus as a man on earth being fully God and fully man, and they are going to be the government of the new creation kingdom on earth. And I don't know about you, but 2,000 years has felt like a long time. In heaven, maybe it's just two days. You thought of that. You know, Jesus came, done his work, Holy Spirit goes two days later. Hey, guys, I think it's ready now to wrap things up. We luck. <laughs> Middle Ages, Dark Ages, First World War, Second World War, Third World War, Fourth World War. I'll take those words back. Wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes. And God says, I got it. He who began a good work in you will continue it until that day. He says, I will build my church. My new government headquarters on earth. The breath was mutinized in Genesis. The breath of the Holy Spirit will never be extinguished. And even this morning as we worshiped, you could just have a sense, just a a faint preview of the love that's going to be surrounding us in eternity. But there's a time on earth Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem because I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And when I send the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit came, Peter stood up and said to the people that were questioning this noise, he said, this is the gift that Jesus promised. When he ascended, he gave gifts. When he, before he ascended, he said, wait in Jerusalem, I'm giving gifts. So all of a sudden, they filled with gifts, and Ephesians elaborates us a bit more by saying that some of these gifts were apostles, they were the guys that went ahead and put the flag in the ground and said, we're going to take this territory back. You had prophets who came in and declared the word of God, like Peter did on the day of Pentecost, stood up and preached strong. And then you'll have evangelists, all those that in, in Acts, in 
2.14, wherever they went, it says they spread the word of God. They spread it. Sorry, the verses aren't coming up, but these are the, if you take taking notes, you have to write very fast in this church. But in Acts 2 verse 14, Peter preaches. In 41, are these thousands of people are saved and then they find each other and they start worshiping together and breaking bread together. And God was in their midst and working. They were back in the garden, walking with God without fear and condemnation and guilt. And then we see that he added apostles and teachers into the church. Acts 13, it says, now down in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. So you've got apostles, you've got prophets, you've got teachers. Then you've got Stephen and Timothy acting as evangelists. And you have all of these working together, as we saw last week, as paint colors on an artist's easel, transforming and conforming the church according to Ephesians chapter 4, that was up just now, to the full measure of the fullness of Christ. That's what the church looks like when the prophet's allowed to do his work, the evangelist does his work, the pastor comes in behind and does his work, and they all do it differently. And they're all different colors on this easel that are painting his image over the church. That's what it means that he's the head. We're beginning. We've already begun. We've already crossed the finish line of looking like him. Because we were given the same righteousness of Jesus as he was given the same sin of mankind. We stepped over a line. We finished the line. But now we are being transformed into his likeness from glory to glory. And you can take the same sermon and give it to a pastor. Say, take a sermon on, on the second return of Christ. Give it to a pastor. The same outline. Everyone will leave feeling comforted. You give that same script to an apostle and he preaches of it. Everybody stirred up to go be part of a church plant. You give that same script to an evangelist and he preaches it. And everyone's thinking, man, people have got to get saved. That guy I work with, that guy lives next door to me. I've got to step out of my comfort zone. I've got to see people come to know Jesus. I've got to give this away. You give that same teaching to a teacher. And all of a sudden you understand premillennium, postmillennium, preterist, partial preterist, rapture, Theory 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. The beast. The antichrist. Because we can't be a one color for all church. We'd be lopsided. People who've only been in a pastoral model. Oh, they come into an evangelistic church and they go, there's no love here. There's no love in this church. No, maybe you're the love that needed to come in the church. So you can get to love somebody who needed to be loved. But don't try and change the poor preacher if he's an evangelist because he's building a different culture. And anyway, why should one voice of these five be the only voice heard? Because then you get a lopsided church. I hear people say to me, Oh, Steve, you're not preaching enough. You need to preach more or this one or that one. 
uh, well, not so much me, but the others, you know, they get told, you're not preaching enough, you should preach more, we miss you. I'm glad you miss them, because it shows that they are bringing some of the teacher in, they're bringing some of the prophet in, they're bringing some of the evangelist in. We had a strong apostolic word from Rob, maybe more prophetic, but very apostolic, and the church thrives under that, and it grows, and it develops, and it's got riverbanks for the glorious river to throw, flow through. And we can be unintimidated by other people's gifts. Because when you're looking at someone else's path, be careful you don't step off your own. Oh, look, you know, sure, he looks so glamorous to be an evangelist. Let me see how, look what he's doing. And God's got this prophetic path for you. But you're so looking at where he's going and trying to compete with him or trying to... You miss your own path. As an administrator, as a business person, as a mother, as a doctor, as a mechanic. Closing for the seventh time. Being conformed to the full measure of Christ. These five gifts aren't always what you expect, but sometimes they're what you need. Apostolic voice gets up. People get offended. Man, thrive under it. If you're more the pastoral, well then, pastor. Get a few people around you and care for them. What's the church doing about a caring ministry? I heard somebody was in hospital for a month and nobody visited them. Well, why didn't you visit them, you ugly thing? No, I mean, I'm just, I'm not preaching now. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you the truth, okay? Maybe God's put that on your heart because you're the gift. You say, Steve, what's this going to do with revival? Let me tell you, everything. Because if there wasn't a raging river on its way, you wouldn't need to worry about riverbanks. We could just idle along in our melancholy and our self-introspection and navel-gazing, sitting around, pacifying each other. But when there's a mighty river that's coming over the mountains and coming in our direction, we better make sure we've got strong riverbanks sustainable, suitable, big enough, and we have to build capacity. And we see in the early church that first it was the apostles, and then it was the prophets and teachers. And then we get on a bit further, and we see in Acts chapter 1, there was grumbling in the church. Can you believe that? What kind of church is that? They were grumbling because you see a whole lot of new people got saved, and some of them, based on language difference, there was miscommunication. God forbid leadership miscommunicate things because then everything is in chaos and everybody backslides and everybody uh, wants to sue him. And eventually they go to the saints, the priests. Remember, that's the highest ranking in the kingdom, the priesthood of all believers. 
sons. Okay? So the apostles go to them and say, guys, it's not a clever idea that we are moving away. Sorry, not there. We're moving away from the ministry of the word and prayer and the work of the ministry, uh, of preaching and whatever, to, to be packing out chairs and setting up coffee bars and uh, welcoming people and doing this and doing that. We need to devote ourselves to what we call to find some people that can serve. And we see this evolves into the office of deacon. And the only difference between, well, let me touch on that ladder. And we see that they brought a group of people that were filled with the Spirit, had wisdom, that were eager to serve. Because that, that is, other than being a born again, that's the next qualification. A willingness to serve. And then we see in Acts 14 that Paul and, Barnaba, uh, Paul and Barnabas went up to the churches in Derby, not Derbs, Derby and Crete. And Paul even leaves Timothy in Crete. It says they went in and, and appointed elders. And Timothy goes back, Paul writes to him and says, the reason you're there is to carry on this work of setting eldership in place. Places need elders. They were usually the people with the gray hair, by the way, contrary to the hipster tradition of what an elder is. They were the people who'd had a covered a few miles in life. And if you dye your hair, no condemnation. You included. The gray amongst you, the elderly, they've got some wisdom. They've, and they set these elders in, and then the, the, the apostles could keep going. The evangelists could keep doing what they were doing. The prophets could keep doing what they were doing. And all the time, there was stability in the church, or at least to a point. Paul has to write to these churches in Corinth and say, come on, guys, stop making such a big deal about who Apollos is and who this one is. Come on, they're just servants. Say servants. That's what the apostles are. They're servants. He says, you know, in the world, the system is that someone's in charge. He lords it over you. Okay, so that's like the, the best system they can have because without that, you'd have anarchy. So that's okay. Leave them to do it their way. It's the, it's the least evil of seven other evils. So it's the best evil of seven evils. And they call it democracy, so just love them anyway. But God's government is run on theocracy. God is the boss. And Jesus gave gifts. And, that, and as we study their function, we see what the apostle does. We see what the prophet does. We see what the deacon does. We see what the elder does. We see what all the priests do. A royal priesthood. Riverbanks are only needed in a time of flooding. Poor maintenance. Let me not even go down there. Let me come back to a positive subject. So I thank God that in this house, I'm seeing an Ephesians 4 gifting emerging. I mean, we, we've had it over the years in different seasons, and people have been sowed and gone out and planted churches. But right now, I, I'm, I'm happy to see that. I'm also happy uh, we, we have a, a great eldership team, but you do know that Richard and Heather are resettling in Cape Town. They've got a job 
transfer. I met with him this week. I said, Bru, you're leaving a big hole. Now I'm praying, but Dave's going to be back. Did I say that aloud? And I'm trusting that this time of spouses being apart is also coming to an end. But that's going to require the whole church to just faith it a little bit more, not to dig into the already pummeled budget, but to trust God for that over and above, to faith for that promise, that faith promise over and above what they normally get in their fixed budget to pay their school fees and pay their food because that would be criminal to ask people to give that up. It would have to be the Holy Spirit, in fact. But no man could require that. But I think we could say, why can't we put our faith out for just, Lord, if I trust you for 500 rand and 500 rand extra comes in, I'm not buying that new pair of shoes. I'm going to stick to my budget, but that 500 rand is for the kingdom. If everybody did that, we wouldn't need this separation. We did it through a difficult time and with no begrudging, no... It is what it is. And God has brought us through amazing. And he'll continue, with or without. I'll say that humbly, but I mean it. With or without us faithing together for that little bit more, God will get us through. And then just everyone has to worry about themselves. But we see Paul writing to the church and commanding them, saying, thank you for partnering with us. Your generosity has been exceedingly abundantly. He says the churches in Macedonia gave, even though they were poor, they gave from the deep in their hearts. He says to other churches, our own hands worked amongst you because we knew you couldn't give. And we had to build tents. And we understood that. We didn't want to, 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 to take from you. Other times he says, we would have robbed you if we never took your gift. Other times he says, we would have robbed you if we did take your gift. So there's no formula on this. There's just a heart that says, can I put a post box outside my house on the road called faith? And say, Lord, okay, this one is going to be for you. This one is for me. I never prepared to preach this this morning. You might have guessed. Like, oh, oh, really? (laughs) Should I get on with my sermon? So they appointed elders. Acts 27. Elders. Titus. I left you in Ephesus to, uh, in Crete, to appoint elders. Then Titus goes on to Ephesus, which was in a mess 50 years after Paul had been there. It was in a total, it was in anarchy. And Paul writes a strong letter to the elders, the deacons, the deacons' wives, the elders' wives. He nails it down. He almost disqualifies everybody as he pushes the button called reboot. So don't put all that stuff on me. Because I know a lot of elders who aren't married, don't have children, and whose wives don't drink a bit of wine. Okay, moving on. So here you see Jesus being crafted in the church through the gifts that he's given. 
the pillars of elders and the pillars of deacons. And I'm very pleased to announce that we're going to be praying some deacons in to the church in the very near future. Um, I thought I'd do it on Father's Day. So that's a strange day to do. I'll tell you why. Because we're a family. And don't call me father. But I feel like I'm a kind of a dad. Don't call Janet mom, but she's kind of a, a mother. So what do fathers and mothers have? They have a family. I won't even call them children because they're adults. They have a family of adults, mature huyos, sons, not ketros, not, or the other one. They're not, ba- they're not children, they're adults. And we've recognized a, a few people that are already serving and doing stuff um, in the church and we've approached them and they prayed about it and, and on Father's Day we're just going to have the, there's about five, six or seven just to, just to come and lay hands and say thank you for the work you're doing we want to recognize it we want to pray for an anointing on you just keep doing what you're doing we love you let the elders keep doing what elders do let Ephesians 4 giftings carry on what they're doing and let all the priests carry on what they're doing and the church riverbanks will be strong for this river is already within sound distance this river is within hearing distance Can we stand up? I want to pray for you.